0: Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, December 1st. In today's news, Scott Atlas resigns as President Trump's top coronavirus advisor. The FDA moves at record speed to review the vaccine candidates. And the pandemic forces some men to realize they need deeper friendships. But first, the big idea. For a couple who had spent five decades by each other's sides, Leslie and Patricia McWatters couldn't have been more different. Patricia, 78, was punctual, no nonsense, to the point. She had to be, as a nurse for 35 years in a hospital operating room in Jackson, Michigan. Leslie, 75, was a retired truck driver. He was known as LD to friends, which was pretty much anyone he met. He cracked jokes, appreciated one-liners, and was always fun-loving. The duo was inseparable. They raised two daughters, three grandchildren, and six great-grandchildren together, co-hosting every family gathering from Thanksgiving to Christmas to summer pool parties. That was when they weren't on the road in their 59 Corvette. They lived in tandem, and that's how they died, both together in the same hospital last Tuesday. They each died at 4.23 p.m. from complications caused by COVID. They are the latest of the tragic tales of longtime couples claimed by a virus that has taken at least 267,000 lives in the United States. There have been hundreds of stories like this since March. It's often felt like we're watching The Notebook, but a hundred times sadder. At their famous pool parties, it was Patricia at the grill, from her pork cutlets with mushroom gravy to her homemade macaroni and cheese. If you asked the couple over to your own home, she would surely bring three casserole dishes of food, enough to feed anyone who showed up. One of their daughters, Joanna Sisk, told our Merrill Cornfield that they would want their story to be a lesson for the rest of us. After months of feeling trapped amid coronavirus restrictions in Michigan. Patricia and LD had let their guard down just before they fell ill in November. They visited a restaurant where people weren't wearing masks and were walking around among tables. Like many others, Joanna says they had developed an attitude of, we want to get out and live our lives, and if we get COVID, so be it. Joanna says they were extremely regretful as soon as they got sick. In fact, moments before he died, LD told Joanna that he wished other people understood how excruciatingly painful the symptoms were. Joanna says her dad was completely different from his grinning self of just the day before. In fact, the night before he died, LD assured his daughter that he would be fine and that he would overcome the virus. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one. Scott Atlas, President Trump's advisor who embraced a controversial strategy of urging Americans to return to work and school with little or no restrictions, resigned last night by posting a letter on Twitter. Atlas had become widely disliked in the White House, even among aides who shared his view that the country should reopen. Although Atlas, a neuroradiologist with no infectious disease or public health background, fell out of favor with senior White House advisors in recent weeks, he was the only Medical advisor the president met with regularly for the past several months. Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, Jared Kushner, brought in Atlas, who was officially made a special government employee this summer with a 130-day detail, which expires this week. Senior aides tell Josh Dasi and Yasmin Abu Talib that the president could have easily extended Atlas's tenure if he had desired to do so. Trump sidelined the task force's other doctors, including Debbie Burks and Tony Fauci right after Atlas arrived and began to advocate an approach, which Trump had seen on Fox News, that was exactly in line with what the president wanted to hear. Atlas's resignation comes as more than 267,000 Americans have now died and 13.5 million have been infected. The country's entering the worst stretch yet of the pandemic. More than 96,000 people are hospitalized today and more than 1,000 deaths were reported yesterday. Atlas embraced strategies that most public health experts warned were dangerous. He advocated allowing the virus to spread among young and healthy people to let the country reach what he called herd immunity levels, a strategy experts warned would result in tens of thousands of needless deaths. He blocked attempts by Burks and Fauci to expand testing, openly feuded with other doctors, and recklessly advanced fringe theories like the idea that social distancing and mask wearing are meaningless and wouldn't have changed the course of the virus. A former top senior administration official who regularly sparred with Atlas said, quote, Scott was the worst thing to happen to Trump in 2020 from a personnel perspective. But do not take Atlas's departure as a sign that Trump is suddenly taking the contagion seriously, because he's not. It's now been months since the president attended one of the task force meetings, and he still hasn't learned any of the right lessons from his own bout with COVID in October. The latest proof point is this. The White House is expected to throw more than a dozen indoor holiday parties, including a large congressional ball on December 10th. The parties, which seem more likely than not to become super spreader events, are going to cost millions of dollars. And aides say mask wearing and distancing will be encouraged, but not required. Number two. The review period for the two most promising COVID vaccine finalists, from the company's filing for approval to a final decision, Will probably take just a few weeks, not the year or more that it typically does after a company submits a vaccine for approval. Our science writer Carolyn Johnson reports that the vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer, which is working with BioNTech, are a major proof of concept for a flexible and fast medical technology years in the making that utilizes a snippet of genetic material called messenger RNA. This messenger RNA teaches cells to build the spiky protein found on the surface of the coronavirus. The immune system learns to recognize and then block the real virus. These vaccines are on track to make history because of years of basic science research, an all-out coordinated effort from big pharma, and government that removed the financial risks of failure. That AstraZeneca trial with Oxford, meanwhile, continues here in the U.S., and a single-shot vaccine from Johnson & Johnson is also being tested. The full data from Moderna and Pfizer will probably leave some questions unanswered. No one yet knows, for example, how long immune protections will last once you have the vaccine, and it's unclear whether the vaccine will decrease transmission in addition to preventing illness. Here's something else interesting. The CDC put out a new study overnight that says the coronavirus has actually been circulating here in the United States since last December. Government scientists obtained samples, from 7,389 blood donations that were collected by the American Red Cross from residents in nine states between last December 13th and this January 17th. They found evidence of COVID in 106 of those 7,389 blood donations. These findings significantly strengthened the evidence, suggesting that COVID was spreading around the world well before public health authorities and researchers became aware. Number 3. For more than a decade, psychologists have written about the friendship crisis facing many men. Research shows that while Americans in general have fewer friends outside the family than they used to, young and highly educated white men have lost more friends than other groups over the decades. Male friendships are often rooted in shoulder-to-shoulder interactions, such as watching a football game or playing video games. Well, women's interactions tend to be more face-to-face, such as grabbing a coffee or getting together for a glass of wine. Jeffrey Grief, a professor at the University of Maryland School of Social Work, who wrote a book about male friendship, surveyed hundreds of men about how they most often socialized with their friends. And 80% of them said sports, either watching or participating in them together. Because of this, many men have had a harder time than women figuring out how to adapt their friendships in a pandemic that's keeping them apart. Professor Grief explains that the rules for guys pursuing other guys for friendships aren't clear because guys, as he put it, are sensitive about not wanting to seem too needy. But the pandemic is causing a sea change. Samantha Schmidt, who covers gender dynamics for us, talked with dozens of men about how they're adjusting. And she writes today about Zoom poker games, backyard cigar nights, neighborhood dad WhatsApp chains, Dungeons and Dragons groups, and fantasy football leagues. What used to be casual chats about sports and politics have suddenly started leading to much deeper conversations about the struggles of parenting and virtual schooling, family illnesses, breakups, births, wedding postponements, and job losses. The moment feels heavier, and so do the conversations. A lot of men say their friendships have begun to look more like those of their wives and girlfriends. For the first time in their lives, they're going on walks with male friends just to catch up. They're FaceTiming old college friends and checking in on neighbors, not just to talk about NBA draft picks or their children's soccer schedule, but to ask how they're doing. Like, how are they really doing? A lot of guys say it's quite liberating to be able to speak honestly with other guys, and they plan to continue to do so after we get through the pandemic. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, December 1st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman.